We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in to another episode of the Ducks Digest podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest on Fan Nation, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. Man, we got a we got a big episode for you today, folks. Uh, been uh, been MIA for a little bit from the podcast, so apologies for that. But uh, we we've been doing some some big moves behind the scenes, and uh, I'm happy to to introduce one of those big moves. We got Dylan Mickinen. He's rocking with us at Ducks Digest now. Um, he's uh, been doing some some stories for us and helping us out on social media. So he's a big time addition. Uh, another local guy, Dylan. Man, how we doing? Glad to have you here. It is great to be here. Uh, thanks for the opportunity of helping me join the site. I'm super excited for this upcoming season, and let's just get into it. Absolutely, man. Well, real quick, before we get into today's episode, just wanted to uh, take a quick opportunity trying to grow the YouTube channel. Um, head over to Oregon Football Max Taurus. That's my YouTube channel. Go over and uh, subscribe to the channel. I'm trying to really pump that up and uh, get more videos coming out. Um, doing pressers there, uh, analysis videos. Uh, I'm going to try to get you know some Zoom interviews with recruits going there as well. So tons of great Oregon content over there. And if you guys can subscribe, like, and comment, and all that good stuff, it uh, really helps me you know just keep doing what I do and bring you guys Oregon content. So without further ado, let's hop into it. We got Oregon. We got Fresno State. Week one of the 2021 college football slate here in Eugene. And Dylan and I are going to break it all down. So you have Oregon, who you know they're they're coming into this one first game of the season, totally fresh and uh, pretty healthy for the most part. And then you're looking at um, Fresno State, which just absolutely blew the doors off of UConn last week, forty-five nothing. Um, what? Where do you want to start with this one, Dylan? Yeah, I think we should start with what to expect out of the game. Um, I think we both are probably going to predict Oregon to win. That's not going to be a spoiler for a prediction at the end. Uh, but what do you want to see from the Oregon Ducks to feel confident going into that Week 2 matchup? Yeah, for, for me, I think it, it really starts with kind of just the overall product. I want to see Oregon come out strong, come out confident, looking composed, and um, just really looking like they're uh, a team that was ready for this matchup. You know, no stupid penalties, uh, no, you know, missed tackles. You want people to be on the same page. I think, you know, multiple times we kind of see Oregon coming into games and then they just kind of, you know, 
they're a little slow to start, and and they're not super. I feel like they're just not a fast starting team, and that's I think you know uh, it, it should be a concern you know for for fans and and for this team because when you haven't played since uh, January in that Fiesta Bowl, which was a pretty embarrassing loss, you, you want to come off and start the season with a bang. Yeah, but thankfully for the Ducks, they will be in front of fans in Austin Stadium for a game. For a game, They didn't even have fans at the spring game, so since the first time since the Oregon State game in 2019, last year, Mario Cristobal talked a lot about how they, about how they had to bring their own juice because there were no fans in, in, in attendance, and that's not going to be the case this Saturday. Um, I think the team is going to be very hyped for the game. They have been working all year to play at Autzen specifically. And this is a and this and we're gonna break down Fresno State as an opponent, but I do expect maybe they're gonna start off a little slow just because that, that they've only been playing each other. They haven't they haven't been this is the season opener. There hasn't been an organized football game for them to have played. And like we mentioned earlier, Fresno State had a week zero game. It was against the worst team in the country. I feel like some FCS hey now, teams hey would probably beat Connecticut. <laughs> Um, I was watching that game. Also, just quick aside, I feel bad for Connecticut because I don't even know how they can rebuild that program. Because who's going to want to? What recruit is going to decide Connecticut? That's the place. I feel like some FCS programs would take would take players and develop them better than Connecticut has as of late. But Fresno State looked good in that game, and I think it'll probably be a battle for a bit, and that's partially because they have a high-powered offense. Do you want to go into why? Oh, sorry, we, we just lagged for a sec. We're on Zoom, oh, folks. Can, okay. can, you, can you say that question again, Dylan? Sorry. Yeah, no, I was going to say part of that is Fresno State has a high-powered offense with a lot of FBS talent, a lot of Power 5 talent, some transfers, some players that had Power 5 offers. Mm-hmm. Um I pro- probably most notably is Ronnie Rivers, who has the school record for touchdowns. Now it's his fifth year of playing, so I don't. He has the school record, but I I feel I feel like with the COVID year, it's a little unfair. He's going to have an entire extra like slate of games to get that record. But he did beat he he did get it on a wheel route against Connecticut with forty five career touchdowns. And I think just first of all, I want to see Oregon be able to control the line of scrimmage and not give up a bunch of easy runs and force Fresno State to play from behind and try to test McHale right and whoever else is on the outside. You make a great point starting in the trenches for this one on on both sides of the ball really but since you mentioned Ronnie Rivers let's talk about him and, and kind of slowing down the run for a little bit. Rivers is a, a really, really good player. Uh, just talking through some of his stats last week, 13 carries for 58 yards on the ground, 4.5 yards a pop, two catches for 66 yards and a touchdown. Had that big wheel route touchdown when he connected with Jake Hayner uh, against UConn. But he, he's a really formidable back, definitely one of the stronger offensive weapons in, in the Mountain West. And I'm looking for the Ducks to really establish themselves in the run, uh, sorry, in the trenches defending the run, rather, because they, man, they just got gashed so many times last year. You're looking at uh, Jamar Jefferson, Demetric Felton, Reese Hall. It was just, it was pretty atrocious, especially when you look at, at 2019 and how dominant they were. 
um, given that, I mean, they did lose some pieces from that offense, or sorry, that defense, um, but if they really need to, to establish themselves uh, against the run, especially just with the, the bodies that they've been able to bring in um, on the defensive line, I feel like the offensive line, that depth has been pretty established. I mean, they were, they were a young team uh, with regard to the offensive line last year, but I think that, that depth on the defensive line is, is starting to catch up uh, and you definitely have some big bodies there that should be able to to help you impose your real, your will. Yeah, for sure. I feel like at, at almost every position on the field, Oregon is going to have the talent advantage, especially in the in the cross positional matchups of defensive line, offensive line, etc. And what I'm probably most wanting to see is them be able to control the trenches, like we've been talking about, especially on defense, because I thought last year's defensive line was very disappointing for Oregon, especially in what was year two of Andy Avalos's system. There was a bunch of talk about how they were going to, how they've already gotten the install, they're all ready. And then they just got gashed time and time again. They had, they had two senior defensive tackles that were getting pushed around despite how big they were. And now you have some new defensive tackles that are, that are, that are going to be stepping up and if they get pushed around on Saturday, I'm very scared about the Week 2 matchup at Ohio State. Uh, so, that's what I'm most looking forward to, is just how does the defense look in Tim DeRuiter's first game as Oregon defensive coordinator? I know a bunch of the players have said the install was very smooth, and that it's actually a lot more simple of an, of a defense to learn than, than Andy Avalos' system, so that's going to bode well, most likely. But... But the defensive line needs to play better than last year, and Saturday is the first opportunity that, that they'll have to show us that they can. Taking a step forward, definitely going to be a big piece for this Oregon defense. Continuing, you know, just running down the, the standout performers, players to, to know for this uh, Fresno State offense, you got Jake Hayner, captain of the offense. Uh, you know, Hayner had a great outing at quarterback last week, final line 20 for 26 with 331 yards and three touchdowns did not turn the ball over, so he was able to uh, take care of it, which is, is always uh, something you want to see out of your quarterback. But he, he's, uh, he, he didn't look the best to, to start the game, but I think he really found his groove, and it's going to be good for, for Fresno State to have had a game because um, if you think about you know Oregon having this test and then going to Columbus, you know conversely it would be hard for Fresno State to, to come into Eugene without having any, any kind of reps under their belt. But I think he's a solid quarterback. Um, you know, is good at uh, you know moving out in the pocket and getting getting the ball to his playmakers. Had had a kind of a cool sidearm pass when I was watching some highlights when he was evading pressure. And um, you know he's an experienced guy. Came over from Washington, and uh, I think he's he's going to be a, a good little test for this uh, secondary, which I think is the biggest question mark on this defense right now. Yeah, I would totally agree because. Mario Cristobal did say that DJ James and Jamal Hill are um, not going to play against Fresno State, so it's still up in the air who will be starting alongside Mikhail Wright, whether it be Triquez Bridges or Dante Manning. I think we're going to see a plenty of both of them, because they both should be rotating in and out. The corner room seems pretty deep. I know two of their better players won't be playing, but they should still be rotating in and out. Rod Chance always wants to have his guys fresh. Um... And we should be able to get a really good look at Bridges and Manning. And 
I would not be shocked if James and Hill aren't playing for Ohio State. That hasn't been decided yet, as far as we've been told through the media. But I don't. I think it's possible that whoever plays better on Saturday will be getting that starting nod against Ohio State because I feel like that game there will be a lot less rotating in and out because you're just going to have to play your best guys. So I think both Manning and Bridges are going to have chances to show that they can play, and and stopping Jalen Cropper I think is going to be right at the top of that list because he was a former four-star recruit coming out of high school. Uh, he stayed home to, to play at Fresno State. He had three receptions for 87 yards and a touchdown last week. Now, that touchdown run was because UConn cannot tackle to save their lives. But that's still a dynamic weapon. That's probably what will be the best receiver that they're, that they're going to play in this game. And and it's un, it's unclear if they're going to have McHill Wright shadow him or they're just going to play boundary and... And field is a boundary in field. Mm-hmm. I'm yep. blanking. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, or they might just stay that way and say, "Hey, we trust our number two corner against their number one receiver." And I'm really excited to see Bridges and Manning, who both have um, different aspects of their games that may, may have you pick one or the other. Manning is the five star prospect, but Bridges has that enormous wingspan and doesn't have to play press as much because he can make up so much so much ground with his arm. Um, I, I don't want I want them to be able to keep Cropper in front of them and make the open field tackles. If they can keep everything in front, condense in, con- condense in the red zone, force Fresno State to take field goals, I think this will be a really great day to be an Oregon Duck fan. If those field goals become touchdowns, then it gets a bit more dicey. I, I think it's going to be big for, for them to, to uh, like you were saying, Dylan, you know, slow them down a little bit. I, this is an offense. Like, they're going to score. Like, I don't think that that's going to be anything, you know, that we're questioning. But, you know, how, how are they going to respond when they have maybe some of those situations that are put in where they're in the red zone, their backs are up against the wall, and they really need a stop to – to get the ball back to the offense. And you talk about Cropper, he's a really good receiver, uh, but that he's just one of a, a bunch of really good athletes that they have at wide out. Uh, they have Ty Jones, who comes over from Washington as well. Um, he's been doing really well, and I just like the, the talent that I saw on tape there from them. Definitely some guys that can make some plays and are not going to be uh, easy easy to bring down. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I that, did see some accuracy issues with their quarterback, I saw he did complete 20, 26 passes, but there was one early third and seven where he was, where the pocket was pretty clean and he just missed his guy on a slant route. That would have, that would have been a first down. So if the, if the defensive line can really get after it, Kayvon, uh, Dorless can really put pressure on the quarterback. That'll also do wonders for this defense. If, if the Ducks can, you know, really establish themselves, I think that this game will be good for them on both sides of the ball, as far as just getting some of those young guys reps, because like you said, they're not going to be able to maybe turn to that youth, or they might not want to turn to that youth when they're playing uh, on a much bigger stage against a team that is going to have a far, far smaller uh, margin for error. But uh, that that's kind of what we're, we're uh, seeing from the Fresno State offense. Um, Dylan, did you want to touch on anything else there before we maybe shift to defense or kind of transition here in the pod? Uh. Not really. I guess my final thing is it, I'm just super excited to see Justin Flo and Noah Sewell 
line up next to each other. We 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 never got that in their true freshman season. I guess they're both technically true freshmen, but we all know they're not going to be there for longer than three years. So I I expect some big hits. I want to see some cleats fly off because that's what I keep being told by Oregon players is that Justin Flo hits people and their cleats fly off, and I want to see it sooner than later. Flo listed on the organizational chart as a, a you know a co-starter and or with uh, Drew Mathis, but um, I, I wrote about this in my five burning questions uh, ahead of Fresno State. You can read that story over on DucksDigest.com. And just seeing Noah Sewell and Justin Flo together is so exciting. You know, two of the highest-rated linebackers to sign with the Ducks in program history. Um, and Flo is just a ball of energy. And the, the fact that he could be getting his first game snaps on the first game with fans in Austin Stadium in, you know, almost two years now, I think that that's, uh, I don't know, maybe that's the football gods blessing us and, and hoping, you know, to get a, a crazy atmosphere come Saturday. All right, let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's uh, flip sides of the ball here and uh, talk about the Fresno State defense. I think when we're looking at the Fresno State defense, you know, it really starts at the point of attack in the trenches. Uh, a couple names to know here: we got defensive end David Perales. Hopefully, I'm saying that right. He uh, he was a regular in the backfield against UConn. He had three tackles and one and a half tackles for loss. But the biggest name that I think people have their eyes on is defensive end Aaron Mosby. Uh, three total tackles, three solo tackles, and a sack against UConn. That sack being a, a strip sack that turned into a fumble and a 31-yard yard, uh, house call. Fumble recovery touchdown for, for Mosby. And, man, that dude just flies off the edge. He's got some incredible burst and just a, a lot of speed and athleticism um, you know, boiled up inside him. And I think he's going to be uh, someone that the, the Ducks and Joe Moorhead have to key in on to uh, you know, keep moving the ball down the field. Yes, I totally agree. He definitely has a lot of speed on the edge. And Oregon's going to have a veteran offensive line. I think everyone listed to start on the depth chart, you know, has been with the program for a few years, or has at least been in college football for a few years. And I think this will be a nice warm-up test, especially for the Ohio State game. Um, Fresno State is not going to be a walkover team. They're probably going to be one of the best G5 schools nationally this season. Uh, They've struggled a bit the last two years, but that was because this group of players, who are mainly seniors now, were, you know, sophomores two years ago. They weren't as experienced. This is supposed to be the year that Fresno State, you know, you watch those seasons of, oh, not the best performance to get to those years as, as a G5 program where you're just really solid. So I think this is going to be a really fun game to watch and I want to see the Oregon Ducks offensive line be be able to handle this defensive front and again I know I mentioned this kind of earlier when we were talking about the other side of the ball if these defensive ends are able to impose their will on the game I still think Oregon can win and they should win if they lose it's disastrous (laughs) but if they but that's going to make me very concerned for the rest of the schedule where they're going to be playing way more talented teams than this. Fresno State has players who can play Division One, like Power 5 football, but not everyone on the roster is a Power 5 player. Um, and, and every game after this, but, but Stony Brook, they'll be playing Power 5 players. So, just honestly, 
the Oregon offense should do well. If they don't do well, then I'm scared. That's another one of the things that I've kind of, uh, you know, tabbed as one of the things I want to watch in this one is, is how much has that Oregon offensive line really gelled? They, they had an, an awesome group in 2019 uh, that w- were finalists for the Joe Moore Award, best offensive line in the country. You go to last year in 2020, and they, they were one of the youngest bunches of offensive linemen in the, in the country. And then now it feels like it's almost like an overhaul in a sense in terms of them having a whole other year under their belt. Everybody returns. You got that six-man rotation. Now we're seeing a battle between Steven Jones and Sala um, at that right tackle spot. Jones, a, a guy that was playing that six-man position last year and, and kind of just rotated all over the place between guard, tackle, and he's just another huge body. Uh, you know, and looks like he could be in the NFL just from a physical standpoint, but has yet to really become a mainstay on this offense. So how, how much how much has that one year of experience helped them? I've, I've talked to Alex Mirabal over this fall camp, and he's saying that it's just really the game's slowing down from them because they're able to process things a lot faster and you know know what you what you're doing, why you're doing, and how to do it fast. So I think that that'll be a huge test for the Ducks offense, and it's ultimately going to go a long way in determining. Um, you know how many points they can put up, and you know how uh, how the play looks out there because it all starts in the trenches up front. Exactly. And watching the Fresno State game last week, um, UConn on their on their opening possession had a fourth and one, and now they lined up under center, which is something Oregon seemingly will never do. But they on fourth and one they did a QB sneak and they got like seven yards on it. And that was against this Fresno State front. So I expect Oregon, with most of these Ducks linemen, are going to be in their, are not going to be first-time starters. They've been coached by Cristobal and Maribal for the last few seasons. They should be able to impose their will in the run game. CJ Verdell, Travis Dye, and whoever the third running back is, they should all be having multiple house calls because they're just way more talented and... If they're not dominating on the ground, I am, again, going to be concerned. Yeah, it's uh, it, it'd be valid for sure. You know, we don't want to, we don't want to come off like the the Ducks are are not going to have a good game because they very well could. But I think the point that we're trying to drive home here is that the the Fresno State Bulldogs are are, are a formidable opponent. Um, but if everything goes well, the Ducks should definitely, mm-hmm. you know, this one shouldn't be too tough. We've been yes. talking about the, the Oregon offense, Dylan. I think this is kind of a point that, that you maybe wanted to touch on. We have Anthony Brown's first start as QB1 for Oregon. We saw him in limited action last year. Had some big plays in the Pac-12 championship game against USC and uh, kind of got it done on the ground uh, against Iowa State in the Fiesta Bowl. Well, what, what are you going to have your eye on there? Yeah, so Bario Cristobal announced this week that Anthony Brown is going to start. But... I- I don't know about you, but I thought that decision came later than I was expecting, because everything we heard in camp was that he had every rep with the ones, and the practice that was available to media in spring camp and the spring game, he took every rep with the ones, the freshmen were taking all the reps with the twos and threes, and then from what I've heard, at the scrimmages, Ty Thompson was outplaying him, and they waited until game week to say Anthony Brown's going to start, and part of me's wondering if Anthony Brown will start, and he had a few good years at Boston College. Those years were um, unfortunately cut short by injury, but he but he's a good Power 5 quarterback. 
And I think the offense will be able to do quite well, but this is going to be the arguably the most talented team that Oregon's had in program history in terms of the amount of talent. They finally got um, a positive blue chip ratio, which is also big for one to contend for the playoff, which is something that the program's constantly talking about wanting to win a national championship. And I, I wouldn't be shocked this season if Anthony Brown is playing well and they can probably make a deep run. But just in practice, the coaches are seeing Ty Thompson killing it, who's the first five-star quarterback to ever sign with Oregon. And I, and I and I put this in the show notes. I, I'm I, and I want to get your take. Do you think we could see like a Kelly Bryant, Trevor Lawrence situation where Kelly Bryant was the starting quarterback on a Clemson team that made the playoff, but Dabo Sweeney saw that he wasn't good enough to contend against a team like Alabama, and he put in the true freshman halfway through the season despite being undefeated. And then they, they ended up winning the national championship. And I'm not saying Oregon's going to win the national championship, but if it's like halfway through the year, let's say their one loss is to Ohio State, so they're 5-1. and one. But the coaching staff thinks Ty Thompson gives us a higher ceiling, and and they don't want to waste a year of Sewell and Flo being out there. This is Kayvon Thibodeau's last year, most likely, as an Oregon Duck. You kind of just have to go for it because if Clemson hadn't done that, if they had just kept Kelly Bryant out there, they definitely don't beat Alabama that year. And that was the only year Trevor Lawrence won a national championship was his freshman season. Yeah, that's a, a great comparison. It's it's a weird situation when you're looking at it for Oregon because Anthony Brown is, is the guy that makes the most sense. He, he has that college experience. But I, there's also, you know, vi- verifiable, uh, understandable cause for concern with, you know, uh, you know, multiple knee injuries. You don't know how much of that explosion you're necessarily going to get. Um, you know, he, I thought he looked good aside from that fumble when I saw him in Arizona at the Fiesta Bowl. Um, but I think you know you don't really need that much from him given the talent that you were talking about, Dylan. That the program has brought in, that the staff has brought in. Um, you know, you have depth at just about every position on offense. Certainly at running back, uh, a lot of talent at wide receiver, but. Um, you know, we're, we're looking to see that production like Brian McClendon saying, and Troy Franklin's getting his first start as a true freshman, so that's a huge storyline going into this one. But I like what you talk about, you know, it, maybe we do see Ty Thompson or, or one of these other young guys, uh, you know, get the keys to the car uh, at some point. Just, you know, you want we're in the preseason still technically, so, like, everyone wants to play with the hypotheticals. Uh-huh. But, um, you know, Anthony Brown has, has done everything to earn this job. He's taken over the team. Um, as far as, you know, taking the reins and, and, you know, saying this is his team, helping the young guys along. And uh, I, I think that all the pieces are there for him to have great success. I would totally agree. I also don't think it's likely. I think, barring injury, let's say Anthony Brown's completely healthy the whole year, I'd say it's probably an 85% chance that he ends the season as the starter. I think they definitely want to redshirt Ty Thompson if they can. Um, but I also think that that shouldn't be decided now. That should be decided probably week to week based on who's playing better in practice and who gives you the best chance. Cause I just don't see, I think the ceilings are much different, but I do believe Anthony Brown gives you a safe floor and the safe floor is probably enough to win the PAC 12. It just depends how high are their aspirations this year. And who knows Anthony Brown, what you talk to anyone in the Oregon program, at least everyone I've talked to, they all say glowing things about Anthony Brown that locker room does believe in him. And if that's all, and if the locker room believes in him and he's playing well, I do think you you are going to roll with him. But one other quick thing I wanted to mention is 
when Kelly Bryant was benched, he ended up redshirting that year, and he transferred out of the program, which ultimately hurt their quarterback depth at Clemson. We won't have to worry, or Oregon won't have to worry about that because this is Anthony Brown's last season with college eligibility. So if he does end up, they end up going with Ty Thompson, I do believe Brown will stay throughout the year because it's his last year of eligibility. And from everything I've heard, he's a great team player. Last year when he backed up Tyler Shuck, he did a great job staying ready and not, you know, complaining about it. Um, I think they'll be good at quarterback, but that for me is also the largest question mark. Now I'm hope I'm hoping this Saturday he goes out, has a bunch of pristine throws, I don't expect Joe Moorhead to open up the playbook. I know a lot of the talk in the offseason was that a lot of new things have been installed. I'll be shocked if we see any of that on Saturday. They want to save those things for Ohio State. I was talking to Verone McKinley a few weeks ago, and I was and I asked him, have you been seeing some stuff during practice in terms of the offense that, that you hadn't seen before? And he laughed, and he was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> As in, there's some things that have completely fooled their defense in practice. And I think, why would they show that on film on Saturday? When they're going to need, like, the best performance this team can get to get that Week 2 victory. Joe Moorhead and and that Year 2 has been such a big talking point throughout all of of the offseason. And I think that a big reason that the, the Oregon offense left maybe something to be desired last year was because... They had a COVID year and weren't able to install everything. Um, and, you know, Tyler Shuck getting thrown in at, you know, probably the worst possible time, you know, if you're talking about just there was so much hype mm-hmm. built up to it and he had to overcome so much and deal with so much throughout the season. Um, mm-hmm. That was that was definitely a, a tough situation to be in. But like you were saying, this is the most talent that we've seen in a while. This is the time for, for Oregon to, to seize the opportunity uh, and hopefully start the season off with a bang. I think when we're looking at this just before the season starts, the, the Pac-12 title has to be the floor for this team. I mean, so you have to win that, and then I think you also have to you have to blow teams out. You, you can't be in close games because there's virtually no margin for error aside from maybe that Ohio State game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know that's the only quote-unquote excusable loss if, if things don't go their way. Um, I, I just think that they're yeah. not quite there to, to win a game like that just yet. Yeah, I will. We'll both be in attendance in, at Ohio State, and I'm super hyped. But I will be pretty shocked if they win. <laughs> um, and that does set it up so that they are going to have to run the table outside of that if they want to make the playoff. Um, the last Pac-12 team to make the playoff was Washington in 2016. Oregon hasn't done it since 2014. But that's what the program keeps talking about, is that that's what they want to do. They want to make the playoff. They want to they want to win a national championship. And this team has the talent to make the playoff, and I believe that. Um, but they're going to have to do something, assuming they lose to Ohio State, they're going to have to do something no Pac-12 team has done, and that's go, and, and that's go undefeated, undefeated in the Pac-12. Every Pac-12 champion, certainly, besides I think Washington in 2016, has lost a game. No, but even Washington lost to USC that year. But they still made the playoff, but they but they weren't twelve and zero. Or they were twelve and one heading heading into the Alabama game. Um which that's a little scary because no team's done it and we've been watching the Pac twelve for a long time. 
some crazy stuff happens. And you know that Oregon's going to get some 7.30 Pac-12 after dark game. <laughs> Cal. Yeah. That's at home this year, though. So Still. that's good. Yeah, yeah. That's good. But they have to go... The game I'm most scared about in terms of Pac-12 play is that game at Utah in November. Because Utah usually starts the season, you know, well, but not great. And by the end of the year, everyone's just thinking, we do not want to play Utah. They are much better than their record. It's like those old Mike Riley Oregon State teams started off terrible and then were, like, pretty good by the end of the year. Lucky Oregon always got to play them at the end of the year when they were trading trading uh, wins in the early 2000s. Um, but the, also, that game at the at the end of the season... They can't lose that. If they lose that, they're out of the playoff just because of the way the voting works. Yeah, they they have to have you know as strong of a season as possible. Uh, I feel like the you know the SEC bias is I, for me with the whole the whole playoff thing is a, a major a huge conversation. I feel like I understand the frustration that comes with it, but at the same time, they're far and above the best conference in, in the country. So you know, I just mm-hmm. feel like top to bottom, the the teams are going to be better. So, um, I, I mean, I, I can understand it there. Let's, let's bring it back to Fresno State here, just uh, you know, winding down uh, the podcast a little bit. But, um, you know, Dylan, for you, we're going to get to our predictions in a second here, but what, what would be a, a successful game one for you if you're at the, you know, the helm of this program? Yeah, uh, I would want to see a lack of penalties. I want to see them focused doing the small things, the disciplinary things, right? Fundamentals are perfect. Um, I'm not... I wouldn't... Obviously, if they walk away up 35 nothing, that's the win. That is amazing. But neither of us are expecting that. I'd say if they win by more than two possessions, maybe it's close in the first half, but by the third quarter, and especially early fourth quarter, it's pretty clear no, Oregon has complete control of this game. And now this trap game is out of the way and they can put all their focus on something that while they say they're not preparing for it, every player knows Ohio State is weak too, um, that that they can have their full focus. Because both of us are completely sure they're going to be amped for that game. (laughs) It's just a question of, are they going to be present this Saturday? I think they will. I think Mario Cristobal will get them prepare especially for a for a for a home opener in front of fans for the first time in two years but you also never know so it's a little scary but i'm not too concerned about it how about you man i can't wait to be back in in Austin, and especially with fans uh i haven't i haven't uh covered a football game uh for, for ducks digest since I, I got this gig uh with fans uh, ever uh so i think that's gonna be pretty surreal but as far as what i'm looking for in this game I uh, definitely echo everything you said, but I want to see some physicality. I want to see some, you know, uh, some some big hits. I want to see some pancake blocks, some some crazy highlight plays. I just want to see a lot of excitement around this program. I don't want to see, you know, oh wow, they really don't look too too sharp here. Uh, you know what's happening, especially after all the hype that we have this off season. Uh, the most competitive fall camp in the Mario Cristobal tenure. Uh, he's been saying that he wanted to strive for that going into this, so I, I think that all the pieces are in place for this to to be a, a good a good uh, start to the season for Oregon. With that said, how about we uh, we give our predictions? Yes, so I'm predicting a 38-17 victory. I think Oregon is up 17-10 at one point. 
and it's a little dicey. Maybe that's, you know, mid-second quarter. They score before the half, two-minute drill, 24-10 at halftime. And then the second half is pretty much dominated by Oregon. They win 14 nothing. Maybe there's a few times that Fresno State is, like, on the 35 opposing yard line, but then they have to go for it on fourth down, and they're able to really tighten up the field and get a, and get a turnover on downs. Um, I also saw in our prediction article on DucksDigest.com that Nick had the same score prediction as myself, so great minds think alike. Yeah, shout out, shout out to Nick. Um, I, I think you got me okay, Dylan, but I, I'm, we've been getting some Wi-Fi issues here. Uh, I, I just moved, so um, thanks for thanks for hanging in there with us, everybody. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that you know we have very similar predictions. I, I uh, I'm. Uh, Giving it a little bit more to each side here, I'm predicting a 42-28 Oregon win. Um, kind of like I was saying, I, I feel like it might take Oregon a little bit to uh, to you know get this thing going. They they haven't been the fastest team out of the gate historically over the past couple of years, but I think the talent is just going to prove too much for for Fresno State to overcome. I think the Ducks will probably uh, you know get a turnover or two. I think that'd be a, a great sign. Um, just because man, they, they they were getting turnovers all the time in, in 19, and then in Last year they had a, a pretty a pretty garbage turnover ratio if I, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so it's not great. That that that'd be pretty pretty big, but um, mm-hmm. kind of like you were saying, I think it might be close at the half, and then they'll be able to to run away with it. Um, also, we, we are ignoring the top storyline of the week: Tim Deruder revenge game. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say the cattle monster. And uh, oh. Camden, Camden Lewis going for the kicking <laughs> I mean, that job. too, that too. As a fellow Cinema Studies University of Oregon uh, alumni, I guess that Cattle Monster is still there, but he is a cine major, so we have that in common, that very rigorous curriculum that we were taking. Never knew that. Uh, yeah, no, it was fun, good time. I know Cristobal said Camden Lewis is 37 of 40, during practice, well, he's a career fifty-five point five percent field goal kicker. Unless Cattle Monster has been really bad <laughs> in practice, I feel like it should be his job until he loses it, which he was perfect last year. So there you go. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Cattle Cal- Monster is the the man for the job. Uh, we couldn't get out of here though without our uh, little mailbag portion here at the end. Um, you know, I, I, I put tweets out for this all the time. I need to get better at maybe putting it out earlier, but I want to get mailbag stuff going, get mailbag podcasts going. I want to interact with the audience. I, you know, all of this content is for the fans. We want that to guide, you know, our approach here. So here's our first question from John Knowlton, uh, on Twitter. What is the biggest worry you have about the ducks, about how the ducks will play against Fresno state? I, it's probably the same worry I have every week, and it's in, in it's in in an inability to tackle in the open field. I know they don't take people to the ground in practice because that would be really not smart. <laughs> you don't want to risk any injuries, especially during fall practice, right, right before the season. But I just want to see them be able to break down, look at the opponent's hips, tackle him and not have a bunch of broken tackles. If they do that, I really have no worries about their defense this Saturday. But I feel like in recent years, even or especially last year, they just couldn't tackle sometimes. And it was very frustrating because Oregon's going to have a talent advantage in almost every game besides week two that they play this season. 
but not being able to, not being able to do the fundamentals like an, like an open field tackle is how that gap gets gets bridged. I'm right there with you with uh, you know kind of similar with with the the tackling concerns. I'd say just you know a fundamental breakdown, you know, kind of like a nightmare scenario. Um, you know what I was ta- talking about earlier was like them coming out slow. Uh, maybe it's not as easy to battle back coming out slow as we're maybe thinking it should be. And, uh, you know, they're just in the position maybe in the second half where they're coming from behind and then they run out of time. So that's kind of what I see. I I feel like that's not terribly specific. So apologies for that, John, on my (laughs) end. Um, But, but yeah, we've seen it plenty of times where Oregon has plenty of hype. They have all these advantages at various positions and then they just come out flat or they just fall short in some area. And, and, and we've talked to the coaches about the importance of fundamentals. They've been drilling that all through the offseason, and it's time to time to put it all to the test. Yeah, I was a senior at U of O in 2019, or no, in, in 2018. And, that, and my friend and I drove up to Pullman to go to the number 25 Cougars versus number 12 Ducks after the C.J. Burdell walk-off against Washington which was the first time college game day was in Pullman. So it was a seven-hour drive from Eugene, and they were down 27 nothing at halftime. That was not worth the trip. I mean, I mean, it ended up being worth the trip because it, I mean, it was a fun second half, and Pullman's just an awesome place to catch a road game. But I do not want to see that happen again. <laughs> no more Arizona 2018. I feel like that year especially, they had some duds on the road. 2019 got better. It was just the Arizona State game that was a dud. And then last year they had some duds on the road as well. So I don't think we're, we're really going to have any. I, I guess that concern won't, won't even be answered until conference season this year. But that's another thing to probably look at that I'm worried about. Not specifically against Fresno State, but for the season. I was at that Washington State game in, in 2018, and it was, it was horrendous. Um, oh, my God. They didn't know what the heck they were doing. But, yeah, so those are our uh, – um, you know, biggest biggest concern, biggest worry uh, that we have against Fresno State. And then the next question comes from Webfoot on Twitter. How many different players do you predict get a sack? I don't need names, just a numbers prediction. It's a great question. I thought about this briefly. I think Kayvon gets a sack. I just think he's too talented not to get a sack against Fresno State. I'm expecting a breakout season for, for, for Brandon Dorless. I thought he played exceptional in the Pac-12 title game last year. So I think he gets a sack. That's two. I think one of the fresh, one of the freshman linebackers, one of the five star ones, Flo or Sewell. I think one of them gets one off a of blitz. Maybe the nickel, whether it's Bennett Williams or one of his backups, get gets a sack. And then one more random player. So I'm saying five because. Fresno State's going to have to pass the ball a lot when they're down, you know, two possessions in the, in the second half, and that's when Oregon can just pin their ears back and go to work. So I'm going to say five players get a sack. Okay. Yeah, I was – my number changed a little bit listening to you kind of reason through it, but I'm going to I'm gonna go four, uh, kind of echoing what you were saying with, with the linebackers, KT, and I think that someone else is going to get a sack in, in the – the front seven so that's three and then yeah maybe we could see uh Bennett Williams get get some uh get in on the action there I, I'm super excited for Bennett Williams he, he was listed as an outright starter on the organizational chart if I remember correctly I was just yeah, he was. I was beating that drum all last year I'm like why the heck is this guy not on the field uh he's super talented super experienced 
um, and the Ducks Ducks need some help at that at that position. So I, I'm going to go with four, but um, I think you know either way that shakes out whether Dylan's got it or I got it. I think that that'll be um, you know a good pass rushing presence that that we see from the Ducks. Yes, this should be. The defense has to be better than last year, right? <laughs> you would think. You would think, but that's why we got to play the games. True. True. If it was... <laughs> true. If 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 the season was decided in September, Denard Robinson would have multiple Heismans. So. Shout out to Denard Robinson. Uh, Dylan, before we get out of here, man, um, always like uh, giving people the opportunity to plug themselves. Uh, where can people find more of your work, more of you? Yeah, so you can find my writing on DucksDigest.com. I will be at the game on Saturday, and I'll be supplying updates via my Twitter account as well, at uh, Dylan McKinnon, D-Y-L-A-N-M-I-C-K-A-N-E-N. Feel free to follow me. If you ever have any questions about the Ducks or anything, just I'm, I'm, I'm online too much. <laughs> so please interact with me so it's, so it's not just sad. Uh, and... Yeah, how about you? All right, yeah, that's where you can find more of Dylan. You can find more of me on DucksDigest.com as well, running the show over there. Find me on Twitter at mtorressports, M-T-O-R-R-E-S-S-P-O-R-T-S. You can find me there on Twitter. Also find me on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Torres, and then head on over to our various social media pages. We have a Ducks Digest Facebook page as well as a Ducks Digest Twitter page. We're going to have our photographer Scott Bolt out there uh, on the field. Um, I, I'm pretty sure he should be on the field, but we don't really know exactly what the game day um, you know, uh, protocols Protocol. are as far as placement for the photographers. But we got Scott out there. He's an absolute rock star and is just ice cold with the photos. So that leads into my next plug. We have an Instagram account at Ducks Digest, so sharing some photos over there. But uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, Really, really want to emphasize the importance of, of uh, you know those social media accounts. Give us a follow over there so you don't miss a beat on our Oregon Ducks coverage. And uh, it just really is a tremendous help for uh, for us and, and helping us keep doing what we're doing. But uh, that's all we have for, for this one, guys. Uh, definitely make sure to stay tuned for, for all our live coverage of the game. Uh, we have tons of preview content up on the site right now. And then we'll be, you know, live updates throughout the game, and we'll have a bunch of breakdown, reaction, analysis, uh, and then turn the page to Ohio State before you know it. But we got Fresno State this week. Ducks getting the season started at home, and it should be a fun one. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you in the next one. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire.
No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.